Hello and welcome to the W Freelancing Podcast, where you learn how to get better clients, raise your rates, and just generally have a way better life as a freelancer or agency owner. I'm your host, Zach Swinehart, and today I'm talking to Jesse Hanley from the email marketing tool Bento, which I am a user of and love it. Uh, his background is really cool because he started out as a solo freelancer, then scaled a 25-person agency which he sold for life-changing money and then started Bento. There are a lot of really cool lessons for us to learn here. Uh, what I thought was coolest about his transition is how he leveraged services when starting his product-based business to make his early customers worth a lot more per month. Because that's usually the challenge people run into is like with services, you can earn a six-figure income with just a few clients, really, if you have the right kinds of clients ongoing. Whereas products you typically have to sell quite a lot of customers in order to hit your first six figures and getting from that like zero to 10 customers point alone can be challenging for people. So today we're going to basically go through Jesse's whole story of transitions and um, basically why he went from uh, agency to products in the first place, how he reinvented his agency when it wasn't working. And um, yeah, whether you're new or you're just getting started, I think there are a lot of gems here today. So Without further ado, let's go to the proper interview. I guess to start, let me properly introduce you. <laughs> so <laughs> this is Jesse. I know him from Bento, which is the email marketing software that we use. It's really great software. We switched from ConvertKit to it, and I'm loving it. So if you want to you know, go join Bento, it's bentonow.com. Um, and he used to run an agency, which he scaled to 25 people, sold, and I had thought he used the runway from the sale to start Bento, but actually, it sounds like he started Bento on the side. So, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe um, as a starting point, could you tell me how you like first got started freelancing, like at the very beginning of your journey? I'm just curious. Yeah, so it was around uh, 2015 or so. I uh, previously to going consulting and freelancing, I worked in a supplement company in Australia in e-commerce. Uh, and we were just selling supplements online. And in that company, I kind of had a lot of freedom uh, to do whatever I wanted as far as marketing was concerned. So whilst running that business, I learned things like, you know, how to set up an abandoned cart, how to get all your email marketing right, how to do SEO, just kind of all the skills of the trade for e-commerce. And then um, on one day, I kind of negotiated with my boss to work remotely. But in that negotiation, we kind of switched from a role where I was, uh, yeah, an employee to consulting for the business. And then uh, after that negotiation went down well, I ended up leaving the country, left Australia, and then moved to Thailand and uh, started kind of working remotely for the business um, from, yeah, remotely in Thailand. And then, I, and then I started to pick up odd clients here and thereafter. But for the very early days, it was like, my previous employer was client number one, and mm -hmm. that kind of paid for my living expenses. And I love this because um, we have some people in the community who are currently working day jobs, and one of them is Patricia, who's doing marketing as her like day job for this company. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm always kind of saying things like, use your day job as a way to to do test projects that might be case studies to use as the basis of freelancing. So I'm curious, prior to you switching into that more marketing role at the company, like what were you originally doing for them? And how did you morph into this marketing role? 
I was kind of doing, I was doing, every, I was like the, the young tech guy in the mm. company. So I was doing everything. I was setting up CRMs. I was setting up ERPs. I was like setting up NetSuite and stuff for the company. I was kind of doing anything that was tech related. Uh, Cause the supplement business, it's mostly sales guys and warehouse guys. <laughs> it's kind of mm. like the whole business. And then I was just doing anything kind of like tech related from that. Um, and so I would come up with an idea and I would say, Hey, I want to do this. And then he'd go, all right, we'll go implement it. And then I would, you know, buy the tech, get it all set up. And, and that's also like where I learned stuff like WordPress and Magento. Like we had a Magento site. That was the first one. Then we moved to WooCommerce on WordPress. And again, I'm like picking up these skills as I'm kind of like suggesting what to do and then, um, implementing them myself. So I was, and cause I was young at the time, I was like really proactive at just you know, I got to learn. I want to do new stuff. So I was probably yeah. doing too much new stuff for the business. But mm. um, yeah, that's how I got to learn all the basics at the start. Yeah, it seems great, frankly. What what did they originally like hire you for? Because they didn't hire good. you. <laughs> yeah, they so they like, hired you for young tech guy to do everything. Honestly, kind of like um, <laughs> the, the the boss was really cool. I was actually working in the retail store um, and I was bored. I just had like a lot of time on my hands. And when I was working in the retail store, I was like, hey, you guys website, isn't that great? Can I rebuild it? Like I've got time, I'm in the store. And then I rebuilt it on Magento. And then from there, he was like, all right, we'll come down to Canberra and like work at the in quotes head office. Um, and so I kind of like packed up my stuff and then moved to the mm. head office, which was really just like <laughs> a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. There's like paddocks <laughs> around the place. <laughs> and I, you know, when I rock up, I'm like, oh, I've made like a grave mistake, <laughs> but it wasn't, it was like the best thing that ever happened, uh, to me at that time for my career. So, um, it was really yeah. cool. And I basically like worked in that warehouse in, in the paddocks, uh, with the boss and we just did a whole bunch of crazy stuff at the time. It was, it was a, it was a crazy period of my life. And was the boss the like the owner of the company? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he he was like a, a young bootstrapped new dad, um, who you know he was also quite jacked. Everyone was pretty like jacked in the business, uh, which made it a little bit intimidating at times. Like a lot of uh, you know thick headed opinions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was cool. It was it was a, it was a nice. It was a very positive, proactive, fast kind of environment where it was just like, all right. If, you got an idea and you think you can make some money like just just do it yeah cool yeah i like this i'm the reason i ask about if he was the owner and stuff like i'm curious what the the revenue was and company size was but the vibe i'm getting like i'm thinking about when i worked at my day job which was at a marketing agency like i was very much hired just to be a developer and even though I have a mind for like looking for opportunities and areas where I can solve things, there, there were many levels of bureaucracy. And so there weren't so many chances for me to spot an opportunity and actually be able to execute on it. Like I'd bring it up to my manager person and they'd be like, no, nah, we don't want to do that. When in fact, if I bet I went to the, straight to the CEO, he would have been super down for it. But there wasn't that like communication channel in that company. So the small scrappiness seems maybe like a cool takeaway in terms of the job learning aspect. Yeah, there's downsides to it as well. I mean, like the the yeah, with the upsides of having freedom, the company was also kind of run in a very <laughs> I don't know, I got like a nice way to put it. I don't know. It it had its ups and downs working Duct in that tape, company. Perhaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Had its ups and downs working in that company. And so um yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's there's you know pros and cons to working in like a stable yeah. organization and also like a very 
bootstrappy, scrappy startup that's moving really fast. And in terms of size, like millions of dollars a month in in rev for that business. And um, it was kind of like spread out retail shops, online business, mm. um, and a couple of distribution companies. And so I basically did all the tech across this kind of like, you know, group of co's. Cool. I won't harp too much on this because I want to get into the agency stuff. I just want to paint the picture. So you eventually negotiated working remotely. How'd you do that? Like any any tips for people who want to do the same? Yeah. I guess it's easier the, since COVID, but yeah. Go yeah. I, I think like the big one was um, like having a boss that was flexible enough to consider it. Um, you know, he, he was also like a, he was an avid re reader. He just read a lot. He read a lot of the same books that I was reading, listened to a lot of podcasts, the same podcast that I was listening to. So like, I think already knew that, yeah, like Jesse's job could be done remotely. Uh, but then additionally, I think I wedged myself into like a position where like I, I was needed in the company. So mm. I, I had leverage. I, I couldn't really be replaced um, or I could be replaced, but that after sunset, a lot of systems, I just I, I was in a kind of a key man risk <laughs> for the yeah. company. And I think they were just like, all right, well, we've got to kind of say yes. And there's not really an option. And Jesse said he's going to work from Thailand. And so we're just going to trust that he's going to do a good job. And um, that was important to me. So I, I did do a good job when I when I left. And were you prior to going remote, were you working like full time or were you kind of like yeah. part time ish? Yeah. Yeah. Full time. Full time. Yeah. So when you transitioned to them being client number one, and then eventually to them being, you know, one of several clients, like how did that work? Did you go from full time on staff to like part time ish when you were working remote, or what did what did that next step look like? Yeah, it was like even at the previous company, it was like you, you don't really track hours; you just rock up to the office, right? And so I think in most companies, most employees probably have like four hours of really good work a day, if we're going to be honest, and the rest is either like just sitting at their desk and, you know, doing email fodder and stuff. Like most employees have four focused hours and everything else is whatever they fill it with. And so when I went abroad, I did my four focused hours on the business, but I was making friends. I was networking. I was going to events. I was, yeah, just meeting people. And um, I would meet people. I'd also meet people online. That was like a really big part early on. I would hang out in communities and forums. Um, and I think what I did well early on was I, I used to, wherever I, wherever I participated, I used to always have like my bio very specific of like what I was doing. <laughs> just re really simple, right? It was just like, ah, oh, I'm Jesse, I do SEO. Or I'm Jesse, I do growth marketing. Um, and people, when I engaged, or I wrote thoughtful posts, they, they would just reach out and say like, Hey, I need someone to help with my email marketing or whatever are you game. And then I, I just kept saying yes. You know, and mm -hmm. so I think early on, it was just, I made myself available and I positioned myself to be open to those things. Um, and good work did come the more I engaged online and offline. So you were remote you decided to start looking for clients or did you decide to only you you weren't even like planning to get clients from these communities that you were participating in like was it a strategic nah, move or was okay yeah so um time i enjoyed it okay so you weren't necessarily seeking a community just like where would potential clients be you were just saying like where are people talking about the things that i'm kind of doing and interested in yeah, and I really like stuff like SaaS and software. So, like for me, I would engage in those communities. So, some SaaS businesses would reach out to me to do marketing or or, or whatever it was. So, 
I had interest in those things. Therefore, I participated. It, it wasn't. I remember like early on trying to do like some courses and stuff that that were trying to tell me to like pick my niche, like, you know, pick dentists that live in Ohio, and, <laughs> like that that kind of stuff never really um, jived with me because I'm not interested in lawyers in New York. Like I, I just don't have an interest. So it was impossible for me to participate in those communities, whereas it was frictionless to participate in all the other communities. Even like um, I remember Nomad List, which is like really popular now, but early on in like 2015 it was pretty fringe and so a lot of the people that were hanging out in nomad list and had subscriptions were small business owners that were working remotely who had weird internet companies and those weird internet companies would reach out and that was how i kind of started bringing on clients um and they were great clients frankly like the filtering in that small niche community was fantastic and I've yeah. still, i'm still like good friends with a lot of those and a lot of those customers funnily enough use bento like today and we're talking like almost 10 almost 10 years <laughs> it's like some of those 2015 relationships still to this day uh, are are there you know and they're good friends all their customers so um yeah that part's i only realize it's like almost 10 years like today <laughs> so yeah 2015 doesn't feel like it should be 10 years ago no, but it is close yeah yeah yeah, like 2015 is when I first left the US to do the whole digital nomad thing. So it was one of those like epoch changes for me. And so everything before 2015 feels like a really, really long time ago. And everything since feels like very recent. Same. Yeah. 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 I agree. Um, so, so it sounds like then your first freelance clients probably came as a result of this like community stuff. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So a quick like sidebar is, even when you were working at that supplement company, or maybe even before, like, did you know you one day wanted to run a SaaS? It sounds like you had the interest spanning back a while. Um, uh, to run a SaaS, maybe, yeah. Um, but to be frank, like, I just wanted to survive. <laughs> like, I, I just <laughs> wanted to... I, I also saw that the previous employer that I was working with, um, because of some financial stuff, a lot of currency issues, it may not have survived. And so mm -hmm. for me, I was like, well, I've got this dream in my head. I want to work remotely. I want to work from France. I want to work from Thailand. I want to work from all these really cool spots. So I need to survive. I like need to pay for flights and my Airbnbs and my hotels and stuff. And so a large part of what I was doing was more so su for survival of that dream that I had. And so I was bringing on clients and work for that more so than anything else and so like mm. i had like an identity that i was p pursuing and trying to find work was trying to keep that identity somewhat like alive if i'm going to be honest um, yeah and so yeah does that make sense it does totally and i'm just looking for the threads like the reproducible things the things that stick out to me are like well number one you had a strong why which was like you really wanted to live this lifestyle so you're motivated for these things and other people will have different whys um, the other thing is that you, because you were naturally interested in like the closer to the money things and because you had this experience in the marketing stuff, you, I guess, didn't need so much intentionality around like getting yourself in front of the quote, right kinds of clients. Because if you yeah. were enjoying hanging out on Nomad List, enjoying hanging out on SaaS communities, like these are good, fundamentally good clients for freelancers anyway. But nonetheless, the takeaway is you participated in these communities. You were vocal about what you do. You made relationships. So. I would be interested in like, because you know, <laughs> my own hesitance that I've expressed to you in the Bento Discord, where I've been 
prior to starting this community, I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to run a Discord. How do you do it, Jesse? So it seems like you have a natural affinity for communities and stuff. Um, hmm. But I would be interested to hear like how you interacted in these in, in terms of like, if someone's listening and they're like, ooh, I'd love to start participating in communities so that I can build relationships and generate some of my first clients from there. Like, what are the takeaways of what you think you did well with your participation that might be reproducible? Yeah, I think uh, even to this day, a thread that's always been true is I've just tried to be like a helpful neighbor. So, you know, similar to you see a neighbor, she's got, you know, things of trash, something about like our neighbor. I, if I see her, I grab her trash and I take it down. And you try and do that online everywhere that you can. So if you see someone struggling with something on SEO or you see someone struggling, whatever it is, give them a hand and don't necessarily like ask for anything. Kind of like never ask for anything in return. Just be that helpful neighbor. And if you're a helpful neighbor enough, people do recommend you. And there, there is a natural compounding that starts to take effect that you don't that just is invisible and yeah. really stacks up over time but it, it's hard to give that recommendation you're like yeah just help a lot of people online and like you'll get business but that that's kind of like how it works um and you don't know how that business is going to manifest you know like there's there's people that i've helped over the years and then they've recommended huge customers for bento multiple years down the line because a conversation comes up with that person that i helped and someone else and they're like oh wow like that jesse guy's working on something cool i'll make the introduction they make the introduction and i get the business that way but mm -hmm. you just don't know how these things are going to play out so if you yeah. were just helpful you're just planting lots of seeds everywhere some of them take six months some of them take like five to ten years <laughs> you just don't yeah. really know yeah but i can in my interactions with you, I can definitely appreciate this. I'll be, because I, 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 in my mind, I've told you, I define you as like my role model for being really freaking nice. I like, I aspire to be as friendly as you. <laughs> so when I think of like, what should I do oh, in a given nice. situation? I try to say, <laughs> what might Jesse do in this situation? Um, but the thing I'll be interested to dig into is like now, and this is for later in the chat, if we even have time, but now with you as this like solo tech founder, solo SaaS bootstrapper with so many demands on your time, like how you with prioritize. Yeah. And a baby. Um, baby. But, but yeah, so coming back to this, cause I think this is gold, this bit about trying to be a helpful neighbor. When I was doing my first like internet marketing gee business, I don't know if you ever heard, maybe Sasha heard of it. There's this tool called Artisteer back in the day. Did you, did you guys hear about this? It was like how you made WordPress themes in like 2010. And it was like the first drag and drop WordPress theme builder thing. So like I made a business where I taught people how to use this software. And I would do marketing and forums where I'd like respond to people's questions, have a backlink to my site. But I ended up like, I didn't follow your just be a helpful neighbor thing. I was a little bit more intentionally promotional where I'd like copy and paste in a signature on a forum that doesn't have signature functionality. So like Everyone knows Zach fucking pasted this thing here. So, um, and I think someone who does this well is, is like Arvid Call. I first met him because he did a post in Indie Hackers and he had a really nice, like subtle link to his blog. So in this helpful neighbor thing, like is the KPI literally just be a helpful neighbor, don't even promote yourself? Is it like, basically if one end of the spectrum is copy and paste a signature, it feels way too overly promotional. The other end of the spectrum is you only be helpful. No one has any way of finding out what you do. Like, where do you think the right area of the spectrum is? Is it that you have your nice bio with a link back to your site and that's it? You don't actually promote anything with the link in your responses or what do you think that looks like? 
I think you have to kind of somewhat go with you got to kind of look internal like what type of person are you? are you like a heavy salesperson are you someone that likes just chatting to people and you don't have what am i trying to get out here I, I think some of it is it just kind of like happens a little bit like for me and my personality i'm i'm less salesy online i just i've never been like that and for me i just try and make it clear what i'm doing like behind the scenes so if i'm participating in a forum practically that looks like you know, if someone goes, oh, wow, Jesse's response is helpful, they click on the profile to work out what I'm doing. And then there's Bento. And then there is a very clear, uh, you know, bio that says Bento, email marketing, marketing automation for XYZ. And then they maybe are curious or maybe what they've done is they've actually just put Bento in a category in their brain. So when they are looking for an email marketing alternative later, Bento's there. And it's the same with when I was doing SEO or any growth stuff. If I had seo or technical seo in my bio people then go all right if i need someone jesse's the 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 person there and i think that realization was why i never really aggressively sold it was always that my most people aren't gonna buy straight away right they're not like reading a forum post and they're like oh i'm gonna hire that consultant what they're mostly doing is they're putting you in their brain as kind of like a an item in a category and your job is to make yourself the easiest item in that category to remember so however you get that done is it's up to you <laughs> um but for me it was uh i think my name's you it's just jesse but like there's not too many jesse's online so jesse thing that i do and make sure that's really clear that that was probably the most of the extent that i did so you're saying like if i saw your name in the forum like as your username it would be like jesse space seo person kind of thing or would it be like just jesse i clicked your profile even, even, like, and more even like more subtle it's like yeah in because you don't want to look like someone that's constantly selling or you don't even want to look like someone that's like a reply guy people people smell that i think um and so and, and even at the time like honestly zach at the time i'm enjoying engaging in these forums <laughs> like i'm enjoying myself posting I'm, and i'm not being deliberate and the fact that leads are coming is just something that like I'm happily surprised by, but yeah, I'm, I'm just generally enjoying myself in that. Um, and and then as a result, people I think are seeing that and they're like, all right, Jesse's helpful and easy to get along with, and he does SEO. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. And the reason I was probing for these things is that I think you know sometimes if I go out and do these promotional things, I think that maybe I do them because I feel like I have to. I feel like it's the only way that it quote would work. But I love, um, I love the way you've gone about it because I think you're absolutely right about that like invisible behind the scenes thing. And sometimes it happens just as a result of mere intentionality and like consistent intentionality in a space or something. Um, cool. So I think this is a good framework for people who might want to, to do some interactions online. So let's talk about how you got your first clients then. So some of them just kind of reached out to you from the community. It's like, what did the, yeah, I guess, you're now in Thailand, you're doing some freelancing, working for the main client. Like what did your flow look like from there into like getting from there to, I guess, your first hire? Maybe that's a, a good one. Yeah, because my memory is like a little bit rusty. I'll kind of like loosely, I guess, kind of talk about like team, how the team looked. So basically it was like me consulting, finding freelance clients online. Um, 
as I started to get a little bit of like a repu, I think I would call it like a reputation in like some of these communities, I, I would get more business. So, you know, uh, leads from the, the nomad list community leads from a lot of the forums I was online, uh, I was uh, active in online. Um, and then I, I needed help. And so I like brought on I just started bringing on people <laughs> like like people that would reach out to me and be like hey man like uh i remember like one guy manny who was awesome uh he was this young guy from new york and he reached out and he was like hey man like i listened to you on like a, a podcast that i did and um and like i'd love to work for you another time i was like oh i got too much work and i was like all right you're on manny <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll bring you on i'll give you some stuff and so um he kind of yeah he he, he did stuff for me and, and we did stuff together and then there was a time where he's like, oh, man, like, I hate writing articles. I was like, yeah, I don't want to write them. <laughs> and we didn't want to keep going to Upwork. So we went to a site called um, jobrack.eu. And I hired my first two um, uh, full-time writers from Macedonia. And uh, they kind of helped build a really good base because it was um, uh, it was more economic than hiring in the US or in Australia. Um, and frankly, the quality of work that we got out of that region was like far superior than what we were getting elsewhere. Um, it's not even just about the price. We just, just great attitudes, um, in that region of the world, like so much so that for Bento and you've interacted with Anya mm -hmm. on your, on my support team is just, she's like amazing and she works really, really hard and she crushes. And I just really like hiring in that region. So we're on the first two writers and then I started to make mistakes. So I started bringing on more and more customers, but doing everything kind of like the full service agency thing, doing some SEO, doing some content writing, doing some email marketing, doing some PPC. So, you know, I brought on a guy to help with PPC. I started, I brought on someone to help with the management of the team that was growing, <laughs> you know, um, it was just more work. I just got to throw heads at it. And I was just trying to like patch spots with, with more heads. Um, and then it got to a point where it just really wasn't sustainable and i forget what the team size was it was small it was just like somewhere between five to eight or somewhere just around there and it's just too much work and like too many mistakes were happening um because either i wasn't delegating properly or there was miscommunications or you know bad ad creative went out and for whatever reason that started to really uh Kind of going back to what you're saying about you know i'm positive and engaging in all these communities i also was absorbing a lot of energy from a lot of these clients and my team and when that negative energy started to build up it started to really impact me i think that's just the type of person that i am and so i remember i was uh, traveling in like serbia and i just kind of i had a breakdown of it okay i kind of like had a breakdown it was just really stressful so um, I ended up calling my old man because he's really good at advice. And he goes, all right, come back to Australia and like, we'll sort the business out. <laughs> and so um, I did that, flew back to Australia, shouted to him. And then when we were talking um, over, I think it was ribs, um, we we're talking over ribs. And he goes, well, what's the part of the business that you like? Because there's a lot of these parts of the business that you don't like. And I was like, well, I really like this part where we we hire writers and we just give them to clients, <laughs> basically a hiring agency. And mm. we only had a couple of those going on and the rest was like everything else under the sun. And I go, I like this part. This part's good. I find great talent. I put them in a company. They work full time. And then when they churn, I just put them into a new client. It was sticky. It worked. And I liked it. 
And so we basically started from scratch. I found, and I tried to find everyone that worked for me, uh, new jobs or help them kind of get in the next one. That was an awful process. Firing people sucks, mm. but I, I tried to do it the best that I could. And then I just started with, um, two of my best writers. And then we started building from there. And then it went, basically went from a full service agency to a productized service, which was we'll find content writers. We'll put them in your business full time. They'll write for you Monday to Friday. And then when you're done, we'll transition them off. And then, um, that was the business very, very clear scope, great value. Uh, cause it was great price. You get so much output for that price. Um, and then it became like a much easier sale and a much easier business to scale. Cause it was like, all right, if I've got leads, I need more heads. And so that was kind of like the only problem that I had to solve. I just had to find great talent. And if I found great talent, I could close more deals. And that kind of became the business that I ended up selling. I love that. I'm curious what the, um, so you said that when you decided, like, I feel like I want to unpack everything you just said for like three hours. Yeah. Um, so when you decided, I can talk. <laughs> when you decided to kind of scale back and start from the ground up, you said you had done this for just a couple clients before, right? The, um, the finder. When you decided, to, yeah. when you talked with your dad, you decided to like start from scratch. You had done this whole find a writer place in a client's business. You said you'd done that just a couple times prior. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't all the revenue at the time. It was it was like a small pocket of revenue in yeah. a large sum. So like basically when I changed the business revenue went. off. Yeah, cliff. exactly. So yeah. Um. So what I'm curious about is how did you get your lead flow coming in for that? Like, how did you build all this lead flow for the, I need a writer in my business kind of productized service? Yeah. Well, what's, what's interesting was like a lot of previous clients were potential clients of the full-time writers. They all had blogs, they all needed content. Um, and when I changed my positioning online to that offering and continued to be helpful, um, again leads started coming in for this new surface <laughs> like it it, it, it was kind of like that it was like i shifted my online uh brand kind of to like that this is what i'm focused on and people naturally came from all the same things and then also people were like they just had needs right that a lot of people had this need they're like all right i want the blog to grow i want in quotes seo but i don't want to pay an seo agency because i don't want an audit i don't want I don't want links. I basically just need people writing content at an affordable price. And the value that, again, the, the cost for what you got, a full-time placement in Eastern Europe for X thousand, that was a very easy sale. And so when, again, people stumbled across it online, they, you know, they're on Twitter, they click my link, they go to the website, they see the price, they see the offering. All right, great. I'm going to reach out to Jesse and chat to him just to make sure that he's legit. And the sales calls are very simple. It was just like, yeah, we'll get a good placement. If they're not a good placement, we'll give you a refund or whatever. Um, like Hakuna Matata, don't worry about it. So it, mm -hmm. was, it was a very, very easy sales process. It's interesting thinking about the, um, the positioning because it doesn't sound like, like, you know, you didn't double down on copy or like CRO or something like this is ultimately commoditized work. And you were running like essentially like, you know, a, an outsourced agency placement kind of headhunter almost kind of thing uh mm -hmm. what 
I guess what what were maybe it's hard for you to like. No, you can definitely appreciate it. Though. Like, what were your experiences selling this versus selling something where you can do value based pricing a little bit more easily, like copywriting or something? Yeah, the thing with value based pricing is like you're usually trying to gauge the value based pricing on just like so many factors and those factors all I think have like somewhat emotional ties to it. So if you are value based pricing on like the quality of your output and just all these different things, um, they're going to be slightly subjective to the client. And so you can just run into you know, dissatisfied clients, a value mismatch where you think, hey, like I'm providing X for Y. This is a steal, but then the client may think that you're, you know, you're overvaluing um, what they're getting right, and and th that mismatch I think was contributing to issues that I previously had. So I would try and, you know, sell up, sell more, sell more expensive. But there, some clients there wasn't a mismatch, and some clients there was a mismatch, and then those would, I don't know, play on me quite significantly. Whereas I found with the productized service, because again. A full-time person for a few thousand dollars um, is just insane value. <laughs> so, uh, and and everyone was happy, and so the the risk was very low for clients. I think as well, they were like, "All right, it's just like a few grand. I'll try it out for a couple of months. If it doesn't work, it's okay. It's like not the end of the world." Whereas value-based pricing, you know, if you're trying to charge like an SMB SaaS business or something, thousands of dollars or whatever they'll be angry if they don't get value out of that quickly. And especially for uh, search-based work, SEO work that takes a long time, what really worked with the productized service was that the people that I was often selling to, if they were like affiliate marketers or anything, understood the dynamics. They understood SEO takes time, but they just wanted to buy like they just needed resources and that was what I was providing them, right? An affiliate yeah. needs content. They're going to find someone else for the links. They're going to do the technical stuff. And we were just, we were basically just selling that one little resource pocket in their business and trying to do that really, really well. Um, where in the value-based model, I was doing links and I was doing content and I was doing technical and then I got to prove the value. Hey, did I drive more business in the last six months? Yes or no? No. Oh my God, well, you just paid 20 grand. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah. just very, very, very different. So I think with the new business, because it wasn't value based, uh, it took a lot of the responsibility of success off my plate. My success yeah. was are the riders performing? Yes or no? And yeah. that scope was tight and somewhat non emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that aspect of uh, fast forwarding the like payoff is huge like having to wait six months to learn if you even spent your money well or whatever like yeah. that's always been i've always seen seo as kind of like black magic never understood it and this would be my fear if i were to try to like partner with an seo firm for my clients or offer seo myself after having learned like it's just it's nebulous and it's distant whereas this it's like you know, at the end of week one, if this writer is having the impact in your business that you hoped they would, because they're writing content and you're either happy with it or you're not. And you know that immediately. That's cool. Even even advertising and stuff like I, I did quite a bit of Facebook advertising. I like, quite enjoyed that. Um, but I only enjoyed it with clients that had good businesses. <laughs> so, you know, running ads on a customer that has a good business is actually it's like quite easy a lot of the time. Um, and 
if you charge that same amount of money to a customer that doesn't have a good business, you're basically like hitting a brick wall for that entire engagement that eventually mm. churns and then they're dissatisfied and it's, you know, you're anxious and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that was like, that was another issue that I had, you know, like more of the full service stuff. I, I hated, I hated running ads for bad clients. I love running mm -hmm. them for great clients. And, and often the success was more about the business, less so the, the strategies that were being executed. It's very hard to sell well on just a bad customer, like a bad business. Yeah. yeah, so I guess that comes back to, again, like being able to have a bit more control over the like execution of the process or the successful execution of the process. But the question that comes up for me would be if somebody hired a writer and their business wasn't in a good stage to like get an ROI from that, presumably they would churn. And so it's not like the, the writing agency would be totally immune from bad businesses not being able to make the most of it. What was the difference there, I guess? I, I think the difference was that the total cost of hiring a full-time writer, deploying that on your site, and like them coming up with the briefs or whatever, sometimes we helped with the briefs. I think just the risk was a lot lower um, because again, like low few thousands versus them hiring an in quotes SEO agency. Like to get the amount of content that they would get from us from like an SEO agency would be multiples more, right? Mm. So just, I think our clients had a lot more patience and for them, they were like, all right, I pay X thousand and I check off the blog is consistent, you know? And, yeah. and, and for, for the more like software companies or those types of businesses that we were doing stuff, software e-com, that was kind of like what we were doing. They're like, all right, Jesse's team is doing content, check a few thousand dollars. like. The, the head of marketing is doing their job at least at least doing that part right mm. and they were okay coming back to it and evaluating a lot later on um they just had longer time horizons so yeah very different to again hiring an seo agency where it's like value-based they're doing their audits they're doing a whole bunch of extra stuff and then because yeah. you're charging so much they're like all right well what are the results every month every single month we just didn't have that responsibility it wasn't it wasn't our responsibility yeah yeah that makes sense were you um what was your your process like were you basically just a headhunter where you'd find a good placement you'd place them were you doing some training were you doing management like what 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 all was included with this yeah, service offering we, um, i guess yeah so the service offering was like a full-time write-off and then there was like an editorial team that kind of kind of like acted in pods almost so you know an editor would manage a, a handful of writers and so then the pieces would be like written, edited, and then like sent to the client or uploaded directly, which was also a huge win if we could get access to be able to do that in like a WordPress site or Contentful or something like that. Because um, then it was completely hands off, right? The client would maybe read the post and then hit publish. Um, so yeah, and, and then after writing for the first couple of months, there's just like a lot of trust, you know, after mm -hmm. they've given a lot of feedback and we're taking in that feedback, the editors are taking in that feedback and they're just making sure that feedback's uh, iterated, well, sorry, implemented um, with all future posts after we get it. And we're very like accepting the feedback. So if someone was like, this sucks for X reason, we'd log it down, make sure it was implemented for the next post and, and move on. So um, making sure we just did the best job that we could. But yeah, there was an there was an edit a small a very small editorial team, and I internally promoted up upwards. So good writers became editors and kind of coached and worked with new ones, new writers. Cool. 
thinking what I want to ask. So it seems like all your clients <clears throat> that hired you were quite solution aware. That's like the the vibe I'm getting is that part of what made this easy is that you didn't have to, you weren't convincing people that you should hire a writer and they can do all these things for you. And thus you weren't really needing to sell on value. It was more, everyone already knew they wanted a writer and you're saying we will give you a good one pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So like if I was selling to an affiliate marketer in their head, I need writers, I need content output so I can sell to that. If it's a SaaS SMB business, they're kind of, I'm selling a checkbox done, you know, your email, your, your blog's done. Like we'll make sure there's enough content on there and you're in quotes loosely doing SEO to the best of your ability. Um, at least your output's going to be phenomenal. Um, and they, they were, by the time like we sold, they were kind of like the, the two main segments from memory, from memory. And did you, did you have like custom landing pages for these segments or was it more, this would just inform how you talk to them? Is it inform how I talk to them? I mean, to be blunt, my websites like sucked. <laughs> Arguably like weren't existent a lot of the time as well. Um, which is kind of like a, another another thing. It's like you can go pretty far by just having like I think like the business. I'm not even going to mention the business name, but um, the business name changed like multiple times, I think, through out me like running it and like having the agency and stuff. And, and I think what was true was the, the business name didn't matter. What I thought the business name was kind of didn't really matter. A lot of people just wanted to do business with us, mm. like what we were focused on. And, and uh, I think we got pretty, the, the, the website served as a way for people to contact us and schedule a call, which was something else to highlight. Um, everywhere, including with Bento now, I'm very easy to get on the phone with, like everywhere. And every single one of my websites, even like my old, old, old personal website, um, which I used to get a lot of like leads across all the businesses from, like just my name.com, everywhere has a booking link. So people can just quickly go, well, I'm just going to like, I loosely like think this may be something I want. I'm just going to talk to him. And then, and then I focus on selling. And I think my sales skills are pretty decent from the supplement days because I used to have to, you know, call, you know, bodybuilders in <laughs> gyms and make them buy 10,000 bucks worth of protein powder. Um, so my sales skills are decent. So my goal often, and, and I wasn't mindful of it, but it's been true throughout the whole time, is just having demo links and call links everywhere. And then that kind of acted almost like a little fishing lure. Um, and, and people would come and they'd nibble, they'd chat to me, and then I'd bring them all the way in uh, once they're on the call. Did you, did you slash do you do any like pre-call qualification to minimize calls with people who wouldn't be good clients? Uh, pre-call qualification. I mean, all the calls were kind of like that um, to like a certain extent. Uh, there wasn't so much like a process um, for the sales. It was generally like, all right, who are they? Um, like who are they like what's the problem they're trying to solve why have they come to me in their mind like when they reach out book the call where were they at that given point in time and then do i currently have a good product or solution to resolve that immediately if not how can i help them to the best of my ability right now on the call and not try and sell them anything um and that attitude was also really good i think a lot of calls if i mentally was like i can't serve this guy i just try and help as much as i could and a lot of people would end the call being like hey like are you gonna sell me anything and i'd be <laughs> like nah nah <laughs> like like nah but 
I was hopefully helpful enough that I either helped them so much that they didn't need my help or they didn't need anyone's help. But I, I just try and focus to help whatever problem in their head they came to me with. And then, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't deliberately sell unless I saw it was like a really, really good fit. So I was filtering actively in those calls. And you never had an issue where you felt like you were getting on a lot of calls with people who like never could have afforded you in the first place or something like that? No, never. Okay. Which I think is a proxy of the communities that I was in. So one thing that um, that I think is like one of my takeaways from my own agency that is something I generally pretty much always would advise someone on is that I feel like scaling scaling staff without and in your case this new model this productized model is maybe the solution to that actually because I want to dig into your business structures but it sounds like it was lean enough that your staff could kind of fluctuate depending on clients but but basically if someone's scaling agency like your v1 agency it makes me very nervous to see someone scale if they don't have like lead flow that they can really directly affect and scale up because a lot of the people a lot of people scale agencies, myself included, where it's like you get really busy, so you need to hire somebody. And then you need to hire more people, but now you need more projects to pay for these people and keep them busy. And if you can't actually go out and do a thing to get more projects, it can be like a very financially stressful situation. So I'm curious, I think you dropped a couple hints to things that that you were doing that um, that were bringing leads to your business. Like you mentioned that you were doing podcast guesting and stuff. Kind of, like, yeah, like that's like appearing in a, you know, to, it's like doing this stuff, to be honest, you know, it's, it's appearing in a small community or something. So it's, it's not, it's not me. I've never reached out to a podcast. So I, mm -hmm. I don't actively do that. It's, it's again, like you and me are friends. I chatted to you last week and we were like, oh, like, I don't even, like maybe cool. <laughs> and then now I'm here, right? It wasn't, I didn't know you had a podcast. Like we just were chatting as friends and then we're like, oh, like maybe this could be helpful to your community. So that's why I'm jumping on it. It was not deliberate, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's the question? I started thinking about something else. Well, so that, what I was steering it towards is I'm curious, like, so your eventual end state when you sold the agency was 25 people on team. And yeah some of those people were placed like the writers replaced but then the editorial team like those are fixed expenses for you um if you know you lost like five clients one month you would presumably have to like fire the or or just you know if their contractors just not give them work to the people who are the writers like i'm curious did you have any lead flow where it's like okay pull a lever whether that lever is i need to go in communities more or i go on podcasts or i do paid ads or whatever to get more leads coming in no and there's a few like interesting dynamics about this like one was that with this new model the churn rate was significantly lower so that was nice <laughs> so the business slowed down a lot which i think is like as we grew again the business slowed down and so the amount of work that i was practically doing in the business like i, I was just doing a lot of other stuff i this is around the time when i started doing more bento stuff so I started pulling money out of the business. I started hiring people to help me with Bento um, and started teaching myself how to code a lot more. Um, and I was doing less on the writing business. Um, and again, I just think the business slowed down significantly and had more predictable revenue. 
So the, the, the cost of goods were also now a lot more predictable as well. So if I lost two or three clients, well, lost two or three clients, and I had a couple of riders handy, it like wasn't the end of the world. And it was, it was easy enough that I could often like hit up an existing client and be like, hey, like, do you want to expand a little? And they would go, yeah, sure, give me a rider. And I'd just throw them an extra rider, right? Or I'll throw someone else a, a rider at a discount. Or I would have two friends that wanted riders. So I'd split one between two, <laughs> you know? It was it just slowed down a lot and it became a lot less stressful to sell. Mm. Um, and it was just like, oh, okay, like we lost the rider or we lost the client. Like they naturally churned. They've written all the content in their niche. You know, it's been six months. Okay, that rider is now phenomenally trained. I can hit up a friend. Hey, man, I got this like great writer who's been writing about like SaaS or tech for the last like six months. Do you want them to write for your thing? Yeah, sure. Bring it on. Let's test them out. Mm. You know, place them done. Whereas with the other business, it was like, all right, well, we lost two Facebook clients. Uh, now we've really got to find two Facebook people to pay for the Facebook guy's <laughs> salary. And, yeah. and that was hard. That was really hard. Yeah. Like, that was hard. And then you're like, okay, now I got to scale down. Whereas it was okay to have riders in reserve with this new business, right? Because I have a resource, talent, and all I'm doing is placing. So it's okay to have a reserve. Um, whereas you got to be very deliberate with the full service agency to have capacity to have that reserve. And frankly, I don't think you hit that till you're a lot bigger. Um, and, and I've seen businesses like Client Boost and stuff do it really well with pods. But often they're selling an entire pod to a client for a very high price. And a pod has like a salesperson, a designer, a ad person, and a content person, right? And then the client's buying that entire pod and they're selling that pod. And and that model makes sense, but only happens at a much larger scale. So yeah. um, unless you plan to sell a pot of one to one or two clients it's it's hard to hard to make that work what were your um well i don't know how much you want to talk about about cost margins but i think this this interview is really interesting because it's not going quite how i expected but there are so many cool takeaways so like where i ended with my freelancing like i used to be running a small agency i scaled down to just being solo because when i was looking at my time and energy like the things that i find really draining are often like QA and management and stuff like this. And so if I had a three-person agency, I'd have to take on like four projects or three projects a month in order to pay everybody. Or I could just take on one project myself and get paid the same amount and not have to manage three or four projects. That was like kind of the logic that yeah. happened. Um, and when I ended, yeah. Uh, when I ended there, it was like, um, basically I would freelance like 12 hours a week spend the rest of the time like starting some SaaS. That was kind of my transition out. And yours is like the agency version of that with Pinto. Um, and the thing that I think worked so, so well for you, it seems like, and this is what I want to fact check as like a real highlight of the episode, is like one of, I think that the two big things I'm taking away is number one, you had monthly recurring revenue with low churn. Number two, you had your service offering trimmed down to one where you don't need all of the like bullshit hierarchical management structures of like a full service agency. And that's the one I want to check about because I don't know how your staff was structured. Um, so yeah, maybe that's my question is you had 25 people when you sold it. Hmm. What, 
what structure did that look like? Was it literally just pods of writers and editors and a, there were a bunch of them or was there like someone who managed three pods and someone who managed this person? Like, no, we're saying like like one kind of ops person, primary ops person, Anastasia, and then like between like two to four editors. And when I gave that 25 number, I, I've got a feeling it's higher. I just haven't mm. gone through like what, what the final numbers was like in, in the sales. Um, uh, docs when I when I exited, but it's like in that range. So let's say it's like twenty five, one ops person, two or three editors on top of that number, and and that 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 was generally pretty good. Um, so yeah, very small like management team that was overseeing everything. And so how so you'd say like one ops person, two to four editors, and then you're saying like ten to twenty Everybody writers. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. And so this ops person, what did they do? Found talents, uh, did personnel problems. You know, someone's having a bad day. Someone had a breakup. <laughs> um, communicating that with the client, such and such had a breakup. They got to take two weeks off because they, you know, they had a breakup. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll give you a discount or whatever. Uh, and often the client would be like, "Dad, don't worry about that. They gotta, everyone has breakups. Just pay them anyway." Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Like that would happen. Which was crazy, you know. Stuff would come up, and it would just be like, the client would just be like, "Oh, whatever, like give them time off." Or like, they treated them like their employees, which I think was really different. Um, and the business that I built, like, has become more popular now. This company is like Lemons or Lemon.io. If you're like familiar with it, and they basically do what I do, but they do it with like developers. And like, I reached out to them recently, and they kind of do the same thing. They reach out and say, "Hey, like, I want a front end developer." And they say, like, here is a handful of people that we think is a really good match. Here's the price. You're going to pay for it. And then they lock it in. And then when the engagement's done, they bring it back into the pool. They place them mm -hmm. with someone else. Um, so, yeah, just it's just a really simple business. It's like a nice, clean business model. And um, yeah. in the Lemons one, I think as well, you can also get like a senior engineer to overlook stuff. But that's optional. Whereas in us, the editor was kind of like a, a bonus. It was like a writer, but... You know, compared to going to Upwork or these other things, it's like our editors have seen hundreds of clients, have seen, you know, millions of words at that point. Um, and so they make sure that what they're going to get is valuable and um, is what the client wants, essentially. Did uh, If you place a writer with a client, like the client would speak directly to the writer, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... So that cut down basically. So like your ops person didn't do so much project management. They just kind of like just managed the placements basically uh, and like yeah, kept yeah, things smooth. Yeah. And then and, uh, yeah. we'd use Basecamp as like the tool of choice to manage all the clients. So every client would have their own Basecamp in Basecamp. And then the writers were in there, editors were in there, clients were in there. And then, yeah, there's a to-do list kind of Kanban board style, like the base campy way to do to-dos. Um, and all communication happens in, in Basecamp, none on email. So, you know, day one, Basecamp gets started, editor added in, clients added in, uh, writer added in, and then the editor would generally take control of the conversation and take control of the Kanban board. Uh, and then the writer would just, you know, hey, here's the article. And it would kind of go through the, the step by steps that way. Um, so what clients were actually buying was like a base camp with a writer and an editor in that. Yeah. And so you didn't have to like 
Like what did your, your, if you hire a new writer, what was your training like? Did you have to train them about Basecamp stuff or would you hire people who had project management skills a little bit or what did that look like? No, because the, the editors, we would take the best talent and promote them to editors. The editors would do a lot of the comps. Um, and so for the writers, we were mostly judging them on their work. And so the training would kind of come with the work and the training would come in terms of feedback from the editors. So, um, and, and if we had a new placement, then those new placements would be communicated with the client. And so then the client would know that the quality may be lower than either other writers. And we'd usually try new writers with uh, existing clients first to warm them up, to get them ready to, to sell onwards. Cool. We've been talking in the community with different businesses sometimes about like slicing off, like we have a lot of, for example, developers, if they're used to doing a whole app development and the clients are all over the place, projects are different, talking about this idea of like slicing off one chunk and just handling that as your productized service. And I really like in this case that you sliced off the part that you liked and that worked with you energetically the most. Mm. Um, because for me, like the part of hiring that I like the least is having to like make the job post, hire the people, interview the people, find out if they're good. Like I don't, I'm not good at any of that. So to me, I would definitely see the benefit here. Like just be able to pay the money, get the writer. But the key thing being that the end price on a monthly basis of this writer is like a, a good affordable deal for the quality and stuff. How did you structure your, your margins? So like you charged a flat monthly rate for full-time. Maybe you had part-time packages or whatever. How did you, what, what ratio? Yeah, I guess, I don't know how much you're allowed to talk to or how much you want to speak to with the, the sale and stuff, but I'd be really interested to hear about like what even your margin markup was on the hourly rate of a writer and then thinking of how that. It was, yeah. Yeah. So like, I'll, I'll keep like the math like relatively uh, simple. And so I can't talk too much about, I just don't want to talk too much about numbers because there's a new owner. Um, but more or less, like the mass was pretty simple. It's like we, we paid a rate in that region and then we added a good, healthy enough markup to the client, uh, on top of that. And because they're full, it's like, I pay a monthly rate to the writer and then they're placed kind of like full time to, uh, the client. And then I'm just making whatever that difference is. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that was as simple as, as the mass was, it was like, my cogs is a monthly, uh, payment to the contractor and my revenue is whatever the client's kind of like paying for that. And again, very based on skill set, time in the company, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was, it was pretty clean maths. The part that makes it less clean, that doesn't apply to you so much because you had such a simple model, but the part that becomes less clean is it's like this ops person, you don't have a market for them. The editors, you don't have a market for them. They all kind of eat into the markup and their services can be distributed across multiple writers. So I'm, yeah. at least in, in my experience, that's the, the toughest part of scaling an agency is like, if you do a 100% markup on staff rates, you're like, okay, cool. So I pay this person 50 bucks an hour. I charge hundred easy. I get free 50 bucks an hour, but this 50 bucks an hour has to pay for all these staff members who make the projects flow and stuff. Um, mm. I like your model because you don't have so many things eating into it, but I'm curious, maybe you can't speak to it, but I am kind of curious, like what, like what you targeted as a markup. And if you don't want to speak to it with this specific business that you sold, maybe you could say, 
for someone who's starting a similar business with a similar structure, what you think the minimum markup they should have on their um, their developer rates or their writer rates or whatever the, the people who are placed, what the minimum sure. percent they should like mark up by for their clients would be to be viable. I'll answer it in like a slightly different way. I think okay. uh, you need to work out like what the competitive edge is. I think running the same business, but hiring American writers, I wouldn't have got anywhere. Like I, I just, I wouldn't have had any margin. Um, it just frankly wouldn't have, wouldn't have gone anywhere. Um, but then there's, there's a lot of companies that are very similar to mine now, um, that are doing really well in similar spaces. So there's like support shepherd, which I think does full-time like HR and support people type stuff. Uh, and, and their team's based in the Philippines, their competitive advantage is they find great talent of Philip, like Filipinos that have worked in like at Microsoft or these large companies, they bring that talent in and then sell it to SMBs. Uh, you've got Lemon.io, which does developers in Eastern Europe. I've got a friend in Tokyo who does uh, Ukrainian developers who are, they're all amazing. And he um, uh, brings them specifically to Japanese companies <laughs> and, and teaches Japanese companies modern tech development, which I think is really, really cool. Um, but again, he's just basically a placement um business that's kind of like all that he does um and then i was talking to a guy like who's now signed up to bento and he's currently working on kind of similar business to my friend but hiring employees in mexico that are developers and finding great ta uh, talent there and then um selling it back into his hometown and like home region so there's plenty of ways to skin this but you do need like a a little bit of a competitive personnel advantage to make this kind of business model work. Um, otherwise, you will price too high and you'll potentially have um, too high churn. Because what, what you're trying to work out is how can how can I make everyone happy? How can I over deliver on value? Make sure that the, the person doing the work, so the contractor is very happy, they're getting paid above you know, local salaries and stuff. Um, and to spend time researching into that, like what is a great salary in that region? What is going to give someone a really great lifestyle there and, and pay accordingly? Um, and yeah, just how can you just make everyone happy? <laughs> um, and, and you can do that if you take the whole world into account and yeah. you think a little bit more globally. Uh, you can't make it happen if you're just hiring um, the West, to be frank, or even most parts of Europe. It's pretty tricky to happen. And so let's say that I I found this arbitrage and I had a service where I was charging clients 3000 a month and I in order to overpay keep my staff happy I pay 1500 to this developer or whatever. Like do you feel like that's a safe buffer or should I aim for like 3000 yeah. and 1000 or something? No, what what you said's great. I mean, I I kind of like that that number seems good and healthy. Yeah. Okay. Cuz it it gives you enough um yeah, it gives you enough margin there to like lose a client and kind of have someone else kind of like cover that. It gives you enough margin to hire people to overlook the work, you know, which is great. Um, yeah, that and that's simple maths. So I, I I like that. It's better margins than an agency typically has, right? Um, but but again, what what you're trying to look for is how is the value that I'm delivering so good that the three thousand is a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. How can I make sure that that price is like such a no brainer for someone like they gain so much great work for that price that like when when, when they're doing their 
and this always happens, you know, like end of the year, they're checking off all their expenses. How do you make it so they look at that line item and they go, ah, oh, like, I, I like that team. I'll just keep them on. And, and they just move on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What you, what you don't want to happen, which happens with a lot of SaaS tools, is they get oh, that $30. Like, you don't want them to be give as much scrutiny <laughs> to your yeah. business as they do those like $30 SaaS tools that they hate and they, and they, they cut off, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a value thing more so than anything else. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and like the what seems to be like a boon for your business was that the clients you had saw writing naturally as like very integral to their business plan whereas there might have been other clients who saw writing as like a cost center where they would have scrutinized and wanted to cut but in your case it's like a no-brainer it's like for me bento we pay like a bento is one of our highest subscription fees probably at this point <laughs> But it's a no-brainer, right? Because email marketing, like email is where money comes from. So you would never cut an email platform. And given that you have yours competitively priced, it's not even, I don't even have to look at Bento's features. I just say, I like it better than ConvertKit, costs about the same, no-brainer, keep it. That kind of thing. Which is why, like, like we, and that same, we get people that are like, your price too low, or you are, you're undervaluing like Bento, right? Like I, I can charge more than, Active campaign and convert kit. Like, like, you know, as active use the tool, it's yeah. it's good. <laughs> like I could charge more, but I don't because like if people want to leave for some reason, they're gonna be paying, you know, 15 to 20 percent more when they switch for a worse tool. So why would you why would you ever churn? Which is why our churn's low and like and revenue keeps climbing at like a steady pace. So I'm always thinking about the the whole value dichotomy. It's like, how can I make sure that the price and the value is just so good that you don't want to consider cutting that line item off because retaining a customer is always better than trying to constantly find new ones and same with like with bento now the the lead flow is mostly word of mouth and like a couple of one affiliate maybe and, and all that but because churn's so low revenue keeps climbing at like a really good positive rate even though our distribution channels are really low um mm. and so i I like that. I, I really like that type of business model. It just feels good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like to your point of being a good, a good neighbor and stuff, like I like Bento. I plan to at some point find out how to be an affiliate. I don't know if I am one already and like promote Bento intentionally. And uh, you haven't been nagging me to do it, but it's nonetheless on my radar because I like the tool and I'm telling people about it anyway. So it's just one of those things. Like I, I think what I like so much about your approach is that it's it's simple you know i think sometimes when we get obsessed with tactics at least for me i can feel some anxiety because i feel like if i'm not if i'm not trying to do all these tactics something like i can't make it work like i have to try tactics and i feel like it's like a peaceful inhale sometimes to just be like you know you just create a valuable thing you try to help people be a good neighbor just keep trying um sasha as you've been listening because I know a bit about your current model, like if you've had your mental gears spinning around productized service offerings and things like this from Jesse's comments today, if you have anything you want to type into the chat or we can do a Q&A like to get takes on your ideas or anything, feel free to type it in. Um, I'm going to steer Jesse into kind of a new direction, but I could definitely see for you, Sasha, this productized thing being relevant. So don't feel like we're leaving behind. We can definitely come back to it. Type in questions if you've got them. So... Jesse, the things that I have down, I've been kind of keeping notes about like, what are the cool 
what are the things Jesse did really well? What are things we can reproduce? And like, I think that when I'm hearing about your business model, I do see some opportunities that probably the person who bought it from you seized. Like you didn't have scalable marketing. Like that to me is, is a really big opportunity for how this thing could have gone much, much bigger mm -hmm. if you had scaled it more. Uh, but you, it seems like built it to be a lifestyle business. That's what it was. And it's what that lifestyle business is what enabled you to start Bento. If you were going only for how can I make as much money as possible from this agency, you wouldn't have had that like bandwidth to start Bento, presumably. Yeah. yeah, no, that's true. So the key takeaways I have down so far is like simple business model, self-evident value of the service offered, solution-aware clients, not needing like excessive hierarchical structures of like project management. I think that one's huge, huge in terms of the viability and like the success that you experienced. And, and pricing, um, pricing at a point that you can get away with that, right? Like if you price way too high, then companies expect massive management mm. overhead and stuff, right? But if you price at a sweet spot, you got to work out what that sweet spot is for your niche. You can cut scope and do less. And, and generally, you can always do less. This is something that like I learned. This, this is a complete tangent. It's something that I always learned um, when I started because I came from like the e-commerce SMB world. I didn't know how to run an agency. And so when it came to proposals and stuff, I tried a couple of things. And then I was like, you know what? What if I just like say no to proposals? <laughs> and so like really early on, I just never sent proposals. Um, and I used to like, I think at one point, I just said this like one page PowerPoint thing that I, I would send. There's just very clear like what I was delivering and I would just send that <laughs> and then they, they would just kind of sign off. There'll be any contracts. I'd be like, no, it's just like a, oh, and then another uh, one other thing. I used to also bill weekly um, on Stripe. Um, that, that was something else that I did or fortnightly uh, when I was consulting and that always worked really, really well. I found like when I, because I, I wasn't necessarily budging on the total value, but when I cut down the commitments to like, hey, you're going to see like work every week and I'm going to bill you for that every week, that kept me accountable to the client. And then additionally, um, the client was willing to take a bet on me as well because it was like, you know, weekly installments and weekly work being seen. And early on in my career, I really liked that way of working. So again, focusing on like that value part, working out like, all right, like how can I structure this value to a point where, a client's easily going to jump on it. It's low risk to them and they're getting a lot of value or there's a commitment from me, the company, to deliver on that value. So, um, yeah, a little bit of a tangent, but that was how I kind of got around some pricing objections early on um, yeah. with, with higher price points. Yeah, especially compared to saying like, hey, you're going to pay me up front for three months versus like yeah. you're going to see the value after a couple of weeks. And then, and it's also nice too because they're paying a smaller, like it's just a smaller dollar amount invoice, even though those invoices are happening more often. And you should be showing up every week to do the work if you're doing client service yeah. work, right? If it's one-to-one -one and it's just you. Um, and so it keeps you accountable to write a weekly update. You know, hey, Joe, I shipped this and this to the website. These are my commits, right? And because they're seeing that frequency, often they want less output, which was a, a, another learning point. So most SMBs just want people like consultants to show up and do the work. Even me, like running Bento and stuff, like I just want someone to do the work and do it consistently and give me an update once a week. And I generally care a little bit less about the output, even though it should shouldn't be that way. But but it it is. I think people just want to pay for results. Oh, sorry, they want to pay for consistency and people show yeah. up. Yeah, knowing that they've got someone who's taking care of stuff is a valuable thing alone. Sounds yeah. like. Yeah.
And then the other thing I had done as a key takeaway is that you like sliced off a part of the service that was both valuable and profitable and stuff, but also that you liked. That's another thing I have down. What do you think, if you were to say any other like key takeaways, things that you think people should keep in mind of what you did well, or maybe big opportunities that you missed that you think you could have done better? Any other like key things you want people to have in mind about your agency days? Um, I really liked the the team that I like hired early on. Um, so much so that like I I flew everyone to like Venice in like Italy <laughs> um, to do like a team retreat just because I thought it would be fun. <laughs> this is when you're doing more full servicey stuff. Um, and I remember like the the team in Eastern Europe that were there. They were just like they were just so cool and. And I just really got along with them and I really liked doing work with them. Um, and I just thought like the the hood spot and like the energy was just so good in that region. And so there was a part of me that was just like, I want to do more there. Um, but at the time I was, you know, I, I had a guy in New York, I had someone in the Netherlands, I had someone, uh, another person in the Netherlands and, and it was just... Yeah, I don't know. Probably should like listen to my gut a lot earlier on, I think, where it was like, I love working with these this like group of people i should probably focus on working more with that group of people same with bento right there's like a couple of segments that i really love working with um and so work really hard to self-select to work with more of them um and and that does good does well for my mental health and um it's like just a good thing to always be thinking of um just how can i filter because again early on i wasn't really doing too much filtering taking on any clients taking on a lot of work just trying to figure it out and then later on in my career yeah a, a lot more filtering for people i like working with both clients and and team members yeah i think that's great so what goes into um the like type so i know that you like to help like people like DYF, I think you've said, like course creator, internet marketer, sorts of folks and stuff. But like, so what goes into, like, is it just that you like the impact that these sorts of clients have with others? Or like, what makes your, how do you define care about? Like clients uh, you care about, segments you care about? Yeah, well, let's say like uh, DYF, like you, Zach, are polite. You use the tool in a lot of funny ways. <laughs> you push the limits in some ways. Um, but for people listening, he defines people who break his tool as Zach's, just for the record. <laughs> at, at the moment, I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're, you're thoughtful, you're helpful, you push the tool, you appreciate the tool. Um, I think you see what I'm building. And so our engagements are kind, right? Even if there's something that needs work, that they're kind engagements. And then I've also got customers that are also kind, like one guy, he runs this like massive um like he runs an e-commerce website that uh, sells those, you know, those like sweeping machines, those big sweeping machines that people ride and they like mm -hmm. clean the floor and stuff. He just sells yep. them and he's got a very large list and, and he came on and all he does is the thing he sends out like a newsletter every now and again and stuff. He's like super appreciative. He came from Clavio um, mm. over and he's just like a really kind, cool dude who was just like, sweet, I get to save some cash and small, like support a small business. And I had some good like small business chats with him. Um, so a little, a little bit of it's just like personality fits, right? I had a guy this morning who um is not a good fit <laughs> and we sent him a denial email. It's like kind of automated. It's just like, hey, just tell us a little bit more about your business. And he just went psycho. It was an Australian guy, just went completely nuts. And mm. then I, was, I just replied. I was like, yeah, 
it's probably good, man. Like, <laughs> it's probably not a good fit, you know? And you've just self-selected yourself really early on by just reacting poorly to this email. Mm. Um, and so I don't need to chase that guy, even if he's, you know, a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks a month. I'm not in the mood of chasing and being like, oh, I'm so sorry for that email. Like, yeah. you know, you're approved. Like, come back. Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. It's a waste of time. So it sounds like your selection process is less about, like, industry or something and more about just personality personality fit yeah. like working with good customers good clients that kind of thing yes yeah yeah, yeah. And, and less about industries and, and niches somewhat um it just so happens that like more technical businesses um and also slightly more mature business owners and stuff they just they just kind of get it you know yeah if there, there's an issue or something and i'm responsive that's often all that they really want right so yeah um, I, I, and that's been true in all the businesses. All, all people want to do is business with responsive humans. And so if you can just do that, you generally retain customers really well. If you're not doing that and you're churning pretty heavily, that's probably why. Um, and a lot of freelancers and consultants that, that I've worked with or have had experience with or have spoken to, if I dig into their business a little bit and I try and like work out like how are you communicating with the clients, like how often are you communicating, they're not doing anything at all and like it's somewhat shameful they should they should do more <laughs> or at least acknowledge that they should be doing more um in, in that regard and, and often just communicating more or giving your team the ability to communicate more or or more freely like some team members at least with like the writing company didn't really feel comfortable because of like english barriers or something um they didn't really feel too comfortable or feel like they had permission to and so when we gave them more permission to and vocalize that um, they became more confident. Even like mm. uh, Anya on my team early on when I brought her on and she does like our Discord support, I uh, paid to get her like a new avatar designs, you know, for her for her Discord image. And a large part of doing that was to help give her permission uh, because having a photo of yourself is kind of intimidating. People judge and all that. So I was like, oh, she gets like a nice pretty headshot, you know, like design, you know, like cool cartoon style or whatever. Yeah. She made me more confident at presenting herself and mm. talking to people, which she does now all the time. So yeah. yeah, we did that with the previous business. We designed like avatars for uh, some of the writers and the team. Um, just, uh, I don't know, when you're behind an avatar, sometimes you just talk more confidently. Um, an avatar that looks like themselves, not like an NFT type thing, but like an actual, mm -hmm. either hand-drawn avatar or, or now, I guess you could use like an AI tool to, to generate yeah. something. Um, but yeah. So if there's, let's say, let's just say like a developer working on an app project that is going to take three months to build and they work maybe two hours a day on this project and then the rest of the day on other projects. So this is just an ongoing everyday small work project. Like, what do you think a good communication structure looks like? Is it like a weekly update saying like, here's what I did this week. Here's what's going on. Like, what do you think? What's the like SOP for that or the KPIs for good communication as a freelancer agency? So a part of this, you kind of like want to automate somewhat. So in Basecamp, they've got a really good like, what do they call it? It's like a recurring question thing in the, I forget, mm. I forget the name, but you know, like, you can kind of run stand-ups, right? Where the tool asks you and prompts you. So like, what are you doing this week? What did you do last week? What are you doing today, et cetera, et cetera. So I would try and lean on the tools to prompt you. So like, like, hey, Zach, like, what did you do this week, Zach? <laughs> and, and maybe let, let's say it's like a, a software client and you're, 
like invite yourself into their Slack and then have like Slackbot, or I think it's Geekbot, I think that's the tool, have Geekbot ping you and ask you the weekly question. And then you just fill it out every week, right? And then they're like, all right, cool. Like I just got to check in on Monday or Friday um, and Zach's message is going to be there. So you try and let the tools prompt you and, and do that. And so we did that with the writers, right? Every day, what did you do today? And they would just fill it out and that was automated, right? And then when we noticed, and I think uh, the new business owner, I think has written something that like monitors all of them. And then if they miss too many, uh, like he, he jumps on them. Where I didn't mm. do that, like our editors did that, but he automated that. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's helpful. So you want the tools to lead the communication somewhat. So whether that's a daily stand-up, you know, what do you do today, all that, uh, after your two hours, or it's a weekly check-in that is automated to prompt you, that's probably what I would I would uh, focus on doing. Don't try and remember to do it yourself. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't do that ever. <laughs> You'll forget. And in terms of the, the questions to actually answer, like you think it's just, what did you do today? What What did you do this week? What are you doing next week? Like, are those pretty much the three questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think stay away from the results part. Dev work, like it's kind of, dev, dev work is often like a hill, right? <laughs> it's like, you don't know if you're going, like how high, it's like a hill with, with a, like you can't, a blindfold, it's got like, right? Yeah, it's got like maybe some clouds obscuring the height. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Mount Fuji. So, yeah, I was, you know, I was you, thinking you, about Fuji. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you, you're climbing up. And you don't know if you're at the top and you're you're going down the downhill. So you kind of just want to be communicating that somewhat, right? Like, yeah. Like, hey, today I worked on this. Turns out it's a little bit trickier than I thought. I'm going to try this like tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. That's your daily check-in. Or at the start of the week, it's like, hey, like I ended last week on this. Um, and this week I'm going to carry on doing this, right? Um, make sure it's not in email form. I find that doesn't work. You generally want to like integrate yourself into the client business, Slack, Monday.com, whatever they're using, um, or create a system for yourself that the client uses. And then have those tools um, work. Yeah. Cool. For the agency, it was Basecamp. Everyone had to be in Basecamp. There was no mm. exceptions. Now for Bento, it's like everyone's in Discord. You know, DYF has their own private channel in Discord. Yeah. Um, and I've got one enterprise Slack channel that i mean that's it that's all, that's all i'll allow <laughs> everyone else is on discord <laughs> and do you think like if i'm doing a dev report should i also say the why so like i worked on xyz feature it's harder the normal this is why i worked on this feature or do you think it's not even important just the that is fine i think i think for frequency of communications that is enough um and maybe if you get blocked communicating that kind of, kind of like typical startup stand-up-y stuff that's been kind of true since 2015 or earlier than that right um yeah what did you do today what are you doing tomorrow am i blocked <laughs> you know but you can do that on a weekly cycle um or a bi-week you know twice a week cycle if you want monday and friday um but keep it short you're more just showing up right you're kind of clocking in clocking out and the client knows you're there if they've got yeah. questions let them ask uh, and make yeah. sure that the format allows them to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. This is a really nice takeaway. Like I, I have it with my VA where I really like when she just tells me at the end of the day what she worked on. Like it just reminds you that this person is trying. And I think like when I think about the classic newbie freelancer mistake, they like do a client project, they get overwhelmed, they get imposter syndrome, they get shame, and then they ghost. 
because they like can't yes. handle the pressure or whatever. And if they had simply said like, I fucked up and I'm trying and I'm working on it and I'm going to keep trying until it gets sorted. Like that's all people want to hear. They just want to know you're trying. There's not any need to be perfect as long as you're, you know, I, 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 had, a, I, I had a guy that I tried to hire um, who is like a friend and I tried to hire him to like write some content and he was really good. Like he was good. He was good, but he did exactly what you were saying where he got like overwhelmed with the work and frankly he just like he's just he screwed up so like i just had to go no nah, like we can't do this anymore man like you disappeared for like four weeks <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know i was just I, I didn't really care that like you needed a break or something or you needed a pause like uh, all i wanted was you, you to be like hey like i'm writing and i don't mind if stuff's slow like i just don't care like all i wanted was just some good clear communication and you disappeared for a month so yeah four we can't work together right um yeah and then that actually ended up me hiring Anya actually after that engagement because I wanted him to help with a few things. Um, but because he ghosted, kind of that was done. And then when I hired yeah. Anya, the thing that she was so great about was she was so responsive, you know, always there, always checking in. Still to this day, she writes a daily report on Notion every single day, you know, and I just quickly skim that and it's good. She does it without fail. It's not automated, but for some reason she doesn't need any reminders she's, <laughs> like her brain works like that she's like a task person um so for her she just does it without fail actually i'll have to make some automations just say that's a lie um in the daily report she also logs her out like her hours and the hours we calculate at the end of the month so technically it's like like it's important for her to always be she doesn't get paid if she doesn't do it yeah yeah it's not it's not calculated so yeah that there is a mechanism to force consistency there yeah, but I've been doing things in uh, Zapier lately where I'll just like in Zapier create a new database item in Notion and assign it to myself or my staff member or whatever. And like, then you get a notification saying you got to go do this thing. So I'm going to, mm -hmm. based on this, I'm going to make that. Um, nice. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I love this point. And I think it's for people listening, like that's the big takeaway is communication is like this consistent communication is a very much a theme for Jesse that's worked really well for him. And it, it's how Bento's going too. So I guess, like, I think probably we're technically at time. Um, let me see how much we had it blocked for a little bit longer. So I what I'd like to do, huh? I can go longer if you've got more questions. Okay. I'll try to face, I mean, 90 minutes is long for anyone listening anyway. So the last thing I want to just get your take on or insights from is like what the transition from your agency into Bento looked like, because I have been personally in a pretty cushy place with my my freelancing business since like i don't know 2018 and over that time i tried to start a lot of SaaS products unsuccessfully i did some as a solo founder some with co-founders when i wasn't having like success marketing them but that was always the thing is i would create a product around some concept that was interesting or holding my attention but it wasn't something that i felt i could really like market, like immerse myself in, care enough about to be having conversations and actually driving people to it. So I'm curious what your process was like or is like, actually, no, was when you first had Bento getting started, because I think you've been doing it two years now, right? Something like that? Uh, five. Oh, five for Bento. Wow, cool. Two, two, um, two, two years, like it's like two years since the sale. So two years full okay. time. Okay. But, but a, a lot of a lot of side stuff and figuring stuff out and just failing abysmally like mm -hmm. bento is a lot of products in one right like you, you agree there's a lot of screens yeah and so there's a there's a lot of failed products in 
that one product <laughs> you know so um yeah i mean like for a period of time i think we were competing really heavily with in quotes like right message like like brennan's product <laughs> and uh, now we don't do that at all <laughs> yeah know? so it's uh yeah it's just gone through a lot of iterations when you were first creating it were you thinking like when you started making this transition building this product were you saying how can I build a product that would serve my current customers? Was that like the bridge or? Yeah, it was kind of like I was doing growth hacky type stuff for customers and I wanted to try and figure out how to do it myself. You know, how can I, how can I personalize based on them being a customer? How can I change elements on the screen? Right. How can I track ad performance? So that, that was like where I started and then it started not pivoting, but it was like I kept solving problems. All right, cool. Like I'm tracking visitors and I'm tracking identities. Like how can I now send an email based on the actions, you know, and it just kind of kept pulling threads that way. And arguably I didn't really sell that well. I like sold to customers, but we churned really fast because the tool wasn't there and it wasn't mature. But it was like two, like two years ago like when i started to go very like after i sold the business I started to go very very hard down the email marketing automation route and stuff started to really click because we started to be like a very um started to be competitive with like drip convert kit and all those other tools and when i started kind of like wedging myself into that product category was when stuff started to really work whereas before i wasn't in a category i was like a only one platform but in a lot of ways, it was kind of like Bento was like my experimental playground whilst I was teaching myself how to code and, and all that quite expensively, to be honest. Um, and, and now it's all paid out, but at the time, very big red hole, but I enjoyed it. So I didn't actually really <laughs> care too much. It's kind of like the route with your, um, with your agency, really, you started out doing just everything and kind of maybe figuring out what you resonated with. And then you, yeah, you focused on one thing. So. Did you, when you decided to sell your agency to move on to Bento, like, did you do that because Bento was now earning some proper revenue and you had focused in on email automation or was that after the sale that you even did that? No. Um, it was like, a. I, I actually, I'm, I'm not going to talk about personal stuff, but at the time there was a lot of personal stuff going on. Um, and uh i it was just good timing i wasn't actually considering floating the business but i had like a friend reach out and then i mentioned it to another friend and they were like all right i'm actually interested in buying the business and that and those people ended up being the acquirers so and they were also actually a client that's actually a kind of an interesting point they, they were a previous client and also friends and um i was kind of surprised at the time that they were like interested i was also surprised at the time that they like were willing to put up the cash for it um because it was a, it was a sizable amount and i also didn't believe at the time i could sell an agency um but then when i started talking to them it started to feel like a really good fit and what was important to me was they were going to be like good bastions to the team which has proven to be true um and so yeah and the amount was like sizable enough that I didn't have to make money on Bento for a, a, a pretty long time. But my brain's kind of a little bit screwed. So like the minute I saw it, I basically worked hardcore on Bento because I didn't like seeing the cash go to zero. Yeah. <laughs> and then well, like almost like pretty low. And then I was like, all right, I gotta 
I got to get the revenue back up. It's got to beat the agency. And, and now, now it's, now it's beating the agency, which for me is cool because it's like, all right, it took, you know, however many people to have that much revenue. And now it's literally just me and Anya with the same revenue from SaaS. Yeah. So that, yeah, was, I've been reflecting on that in the last month and I'm, I'm proud of myself. It's been, it's been like a, a long journey, but yeah, I, the first six months I went really hard after I sold the business to really try and figure a lot of this stuff out. And and what going hard meant was like building product. It was making workflows better. It was uh, bringing on a guy to help me build workflow the workflows product. It was rounding out stuff. It was talking about the product a lot more because I felt like I had permission to talk about it because when I had the team, I felt like I couldn't really talk too much about Bento because it was more important to keep everyone employed by talking about the writing business. Mm. So when you sold the business, so it sounds like you mostly sold the business like for the personal reasons and and then you doubled down on Bento. Like what I'm what I'm trying to think of is like, I guess in my case, so some of the apps I made, like I think the failed apps when I look back on, like one of them was an espresso app dial in your espresso shots. Another one was like this table tennis leagues app. All of these are like, you know, they're not close to the money. They are not like established markets. They're not going to be this uncancelable line item in a subscription. And they weren't mm -hmm. things that I could really felt like I knew much about the market. And I guess in this case, if you knew you were targeting email automation, like there's no doubt that there is a market for email automation. And that furthermore, the people you're already talking with, communities you're already in, all of these people would use this tool. So I'm I'm just curious like what made you feel like Bento was validated enough that you could safely double down um and go hard on it like building out the product because if you build out a product before it's validated then you're you stand to potentially like waste a lot of time like what how do you feeling like this is definitely the right thing that I should invest into I have no idea I'm trying to think <laughs> okay. about it. I, I have no idea I, I I've never thought critically about that part of the business either I think like for me I had um I think still to this day, I've, I've got, I feel like I have, because I've used so many tools in this category, I have a taste. You have a taste, Brendan has a taste. You've got like a taste in email marketing and automation tools, right? And my my job was, how can I make Bento as close to my taste as possible, <laughs> you know? And all my work is doing that. And I felt that if I could have it get close to my taste, <laughs> Um, if I could have my tool be close to the taste, I would have something sellable and I would have something market ready. And I think because the category is clear enough and the market is wide enough, it's not that hard, frankly, to like figure out something there, um, yeah. especially with my sales approach, right? Like with email marketing, you know, you, you, you just need a hand. You, you can stack revenue because people pay thousands of dollars for those tools, right? If I had something where I was selling 30 bucks a month or whatever, I don't think I could have made this work because it would just require such a larger volume of leads. Like I've got a friend who runs like a language learning app. Um, he's got a lot more customers than me, but he, he likes doing B2C marketing. I, I don't, you know, he's, he's got a very large email list. I, I don't like I, I, it's just different, different styles. So I think kind of understanding what type of personality you have uh, sort of dictates what type of products you can go into because yeah, you know, like what you're willing to advertise, how you're willing to market yourself, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's all personality, founder driven. At least in the first like million, uh, or million AR, I think it's it's all founder led, founder personality driven, for the most part. 
So the theme that I think that I see is that you, if we were to say, how can we reproduce what Jesse's done here? If I want to grow an agency and use an agency as like a springboard into SaaS, seems like find a client, a type of client you care about and do things for them that are like valuable. Ideally, this, this, this should be probably a B2B client. Almost every freelancer is serving B2B pretty much. And then when you're moving into the SaaS direction, be thinking of like what you can be doing for them that is also really valuable, ideally for similar types of clients if you want to leverage the agency experience. Do you think that's the through line? Or what do you think the like, what do you think the reproducible yeah. takeaways are? Or do you think even it matters that the same, that you serve a similar type of client with Bento that you would have with your agency? Yeah. Um, I think making sure that you do pick something hard enough um, this is actually something else I've been thinking about like recently, but a little bit different to what you're asking, but making sure that you pick a product that is hard enough and worthwhile enough to go after. Email marketing is really hard. I mean, you see me moaning about a lot of the stuff that I deal with. Um, it's really hard. Marketing automation is really hard. Building a workflow system is really hard. Building a workflow system that can take a Zach is very, very hard. <laughs> and so, which means like if it's hard, and there's a lot of customers in there, it means you can kind of like wedge yourself in that space. If you've got patience and you've got resilience, you've got like the time to stay in the market to figure it out. Um, if I did like the same and I just focused on analytics, ad tracking, which was like kind of the, uh, the early days, and I was really stubborn and I didn't like kind of keep moving and keep kind of changing stuff up, um, I probably wouldn't have built a proper business. Um, mm. And there there are businesses like that, but I just don't think I cared about ad tracking enough. Um, I think it's a really like nice to have now for like a lot of Bento customers because the product's still like in there, but it's not like, it's something that someone could cross off the line item and, and be like, all right, don't have to pay yeah. the $200 sub for, right? Email marketing, no way, no way. And so if somebody was going to like make the transition without selling their agency, do you think it would be basically that, but because the thing that's tough to me about a really hard SaaS is that like, you know, it's hard. <laughs> you have to invest so many hours or dollars into building the product. Like, how do you ensure that it's going to work? Like that it's, how do you validate it first? I guess that's the theme I keep asking. Like, maybe it's just give like a, like maybe, yeah, maybe give me like an example of like a friend who's kind of doing similar, um, not similar, but like maybe doing a path that might be a little bit more relatable. So I got a friend who does a lot of uh, WordPress speed work. Um, he's, he's a really, really good friend. Uh, he's also a Bento customer with like three sites. Um, <laughs> and with him, he does like a lot of WordPress speed work, but he's moving into the hosting business. Hosting is very competitive, um, but he's very, very good at speed. And so for him, he can kind of create a hosting business that specializes with a very specific set of customers he likes working with. Um, and something that he found was his insight was people that host their WordPress businesses that he like works with, what they actually want is they want an incident team when something goes wrong and they're mm -hmm. willing to pay just for that, <laughs> you know? So it's like hosting, everyone does hosting, but what everyone doesn't do is provide an incident team. So if the site yeah. goes down, there's an issue, it gets hacked, the incident team jumps on and you pay a premium for that you're right and, and then now you can instantly see like a whole service offering that he can offer totally. and a great scalable business that he can offer yeah. and like that's cool right and it's also really unique you know 
I don't want to go with WP Engine. I don't want to go with Kinstar. Why does my site get attacked, right? And they're like, that's kind of on you. Whereas yeah. with him, it's it's not. And he can charge a yeah. premium for it. So that's it. That's maybe a more relatable example of a way yeah. that you can build like a SaaS um, that still is very service-driven and yeah, high-value. Totally. And... Yeah, I love that. I think that that is a great model. And I think the thread I see between that and yours too is that in both of these cases, there's a well-established competitor who's doing really, really well. Like WP Engine, gigantic business. Uh, ConvertKit, Active Campaign, gigantic businesses. So in both of your cases, like these are high-value problems with precedent. It's not like, oh, I'm going to help people dial in espresso shots. <laughs> it's like businesses pay money exactly. and they're not going to cancel <laughs> this stuff, you know? Um, and I also love this hybridized product and service because that's my exact thing. Like, you know, with WP Engine, you can integrate with uh, Securi, but that's yep. a, they have some kind of collaboration, yep. but still it's like a third party tool and it's like, it's on Scary you. Yeah. If it doesn't work. Yeah. I love the idea of just being able to say, okay, my site's down. I can call somebody on the phone and they're going to sort it. And there's somebody who's like in my corner. That's awesome. The first six months of Bento as well, I did what was called managed accounts where I would charge like a thousand bucks or something where I would run your Bento account. Mm. And, and I, br I brought on a guy to help me a little bit with that. Um, stopped doing that after the revenue started stacking up. But that hybrid of SaaS plus service is really good starting out because it's really yeah. intimate. You're using your own tool and you're going, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Yeah. And then you're fixing it. Um, but again, people are like, okay, I want to pay for the tool. I don't want to do the work. And yeah. like, that, that's our main objection now. It's like, I want to use the tool. I don't want to migrate. And so yep. our job is to remove all that. And again, early on, it was just pay and I'll, I'll do all the work for you. I'll write your newsletters. I'll do your welcome sequence and stuff. And a lot of that was just me getting, um, yeah, a feel for how my customers wanted to use my product as a customer and letting them drive it with words and then making sure it was really easy for the next customer to do the same. And I think a lot of great product was built out of that six months of doing managed accounts. I think so too. I mean, my, my big experience running this community so far has been that like, it's so valuable to be able to understand where people are getting stuck in the courses. And if, if it were just selling a course and not talking with somebody, you never get that data. If it's just you selling a piece of software and someone churns, you don't really know, like maybe they leave one comment that says, oh, it was hard to use. <laughs> That's all you ever get right, about. Dude, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't get that like day to day, like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing and it doesn't work. And I, so I love that. And I also love like, my general take on all this stuff is that if you're selling service, it's the easiest way to get short-term money. If you're selling a product, it's the easiest way to get scalable long-term money. And I love this, this hybrid approach because it allows you to sell a product, but also get short-term money. So you get like this financial viability while you're still building it. But then this like icing on the cake, which I feel like the icing maybe in this case weighs more than the cake. It's a lot of icing is the fact that you get all this one-on-one -on -one interaction and feedback from the customers. I love that. That seems like a great which, way to transition. Which turns you into like a, a product-driven company, I think. Yeah. And you're kind of forced to get feedback, iterate on the feedback, make a better product, and then stuff starts to get to the destination. And in my case, it forced the product to get to close to where my taste is. It's not there yet, but it's, it's getting closer every time yeah. I get more feedback and I iterate on it and I'm close to my customers. And I'm going to keep nagging you about that thing where I can pass event details into the event details of other events. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, cool. This has been great. Um, I think that this gives me a pretty good picture. I think there it's a lot 
to take in for people listening, but I feel like there have been some really like just gems on gems on gems. So this feels like a good time to transition. Just a quick question. If someone likes you and they wanted to learn more about you. Oh, no, I do have one more question. How do you get your customers for Bento? How did you, your first ones? It sounds like were from clients and stuff, but once you went yeah. hard on Bento, how'd you get the customers? Uh, it's now word of mouth. Okay. I figured it might be something like that. <laughs> but, but again, it's like word of mouth from weird spots, right? It's like, like I had someone sign up the other day for 2000 bucks a month, um, onboarded himself. Uh, imported the list, started sending out newsletters, didn't talk to him once. And someone on another forum recommended just checking us out. You, know, mm. you don't, you don't, you don't know how, I think I was in e-commerce fuel, right? And I'm not in that, but someone I had interacted with previously years ago, interacted in that forum <laughs> and, and sold me a 2k a month customer. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I mean by the compounding effect of just being helpful online. Yeah, it plays out in these weird ways where you're like, "Cool, that's like, that's that's good money." Yeah. <laughs> and and that, yeah. that stuff's happening every day. I, like honestly, that stuff's happening every single day, and it's not quite flywheely yet, but um, it's it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Close. And the thing is, if you had served as a freelancer, like clients you didn't care about, none of that would have been yes. you wouldn't have had that to benefit you so i do think that is a through line is like if someone who's listening can try to target like who is it that they they care about that they want to serve that they'll still care about and still want to serve in 10 or 20 years when maybe they're running a whole different type of business where all these interactions now and all this like personal brand building can become an asset that serves them forever versus what they're doing now is like a flash in the pan earn some money from something you don't care about or someone you don't care about yeah, and, and reputation, like who do you want to build a reputation with, I think yeah. is also something to kind of like consider. So um, yeah, who's your reputation important to? And, and yeah. just kind of focusing on that. Cool. All right. Good to know. Thank you. So if somebody wanted to learn more about you, is it just bentonow.com, B-E-N-T-O-N-O-W.com that they would go to or where should they go to? Yeah, that works. Like or, um, I'm I'm on like on Twitter, so like J E S S E uh, T Hanley H A N L E Y. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. Um, that's usually where I, I hang out. All right. Cool. If you, you want to use my email marketing software, like you said, Zach, you can just go to bentonow.com. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm around. If you cool. got questions, you can always DM me. I, I like answering kind of like the consulting, freelance agency questions. Have fun. Great. And for people listening, I plan one day soon to do some how-to stuff in Bento where we can show like how to set up a lead magnet and like onboarding flow and things like that that would like leverage Bento and Typeform and things. But it doesn't exist yet. Uh, any your stuff. I don't want yeah, well, no, I don't want to do that. It'll, it'll <laughs> overwhelm everybody. That's like level six. Uh, Jesse, anything you want to share before we go? Any last thoughts? Uh... Yeah, I think I think my my last my last takeaway is um something else that was really helpful for me throughout like all of this was uh reducing my goals and stop thinking too far forward ahead of stuff and just taking things bit by bit. I think when I started at all the, these different stages, you know, whether it was an agency or consulting or anything, there's a lot of people that talk a lot of stuff about scaling, scaling, scaling and all that. And every day all I kind of focus on is like doing my best work on that day and that's it and i just try and do my best and i found when i when i scoped everything into just like i'm trying to do my best every single day 
everything started to work way better. <laughs> mm. My work got better. My anxiety decreased. My revenue started increasing. And a lot of that was removing the goals and kind of like constant, like I got to keep scaling, got to keep growing, got to keep growing um, attitude. And the minute I removed that, things started to be much better for me. So mm. um, just focus on doing good work. Um, generally, good things come. If you do good work on a long enough time horizon, good things come. So just focus on doing yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great takeaway. I've seen that in my own freelance business too. Like all the strategies aside, the thing that I, I there were a lot of things I didn't do well. The one thing I did well is I did a really good job for a long time. That's that's all it comes down to. I'm curious though, like, because I do think that tying that in with with some system to ensure that this good work you're doing, like let's say the on the business kind of work, making sure that that time is actually kind of like moving you in the right direction versus moving you in the wrong direction. Like if you don't have a have that tied in with a longer term goal how do you how do you know mm, take more breaks and to <laughs> kind of check in with yourself maybe go on a holiday go on a break to the parks you know go for some hikes or whatever and just check in with yourself does the work feel good directionally is there momentum there um but don't think too deeply in it and get too existential i think that can sometimes ruin the vibe <laughs> and mm. kind of trip you up too much so I think take, taking breaks, going for walks, um, doing some exercise, taking your pets out, all that kind of stuff, and just trying to check in with yourself. Am I aligned? Does it feel good? Is there momentum? Cool. Let's keep going. If there's not those things, then listen to your gut and try and take action on that. Cool. That's a great framework. Thanks, Jesse. Great to chat. And uh, I'm sure you'll hear from me requesting some new features or reporting some bugs soon enough. Can't wait. <laughs> cool. See you guys. All right, see ya.